Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode two of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. Now I have to say, since we've gotten the ball rolling on the show, it's been a lot of fun scooping out who we're going to invite and what topics we're going to bring to the table. Today, I've got the good fortune of talking to Josh Bone, who is the Director of Industry Innovation at the National Electrical Contractors Association, or NECA. Josh is also the Executive Director of Electri International. He's also one of the original co-hosts of the Contact Crew podcast, so I'm quite honored honored to have him here joining me today. Josh, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, Eric, you did a good job introducing me there. I've been around the industry for 22 years. I consider myself a construction technologist at heart. I started 3D modeling a very long time ago, back in the late 90s, and that term became BIM. And that became the genesis of everything that I've I've really done in my career down the road. Uh, BIM became so much a, a central hub of all this construction technology. And yeah, I've worked with owners, I've worked with architects, I've worked with engineers and GCs. And now I've spent the last almost six years of my career really focused on the trades. So trying to bring all that knowledge together and see how we can pull this industry forward, especially in the role of Electri, where we're our research foundation for NECA. So very excited about that new position and leading some of the research and where we're going forward with that. You know, always trying something new and excited about all these types of conversations that have proliferated through what we're doing now. So Thank you for giving me a little bit more context. And I've been in the industry now for just under a decade. And so I haven't had the the chance to see it kind of transform as much as you have, but it's been pretty neat to see just the amount of digital transformation that's happened in recent years. Like the iPad came out and that kind of was a bit of a catalyst for some of the content that we're seeing today. So it's been really exciting, especially in the last like four or five years. So I know you're just getting a breather now that the virtual NECA conference has come to a close. Can you share a little bit about it and what was the most compelling part of what you experienced? So we were kind of the first to jump in, I think, really fully in at the timing. It just ended up before Autodesk University, and we've seen some things from others, but we partnered with this platform called vFairs. And it was, you have a lobby that you could go into. You could go into the exhibit hall. You could go into booths. You could talk and chat and live stream. It's the closest I've seen to a true virtual convention to have interaction and have the networking capabilities. We had a couple of events at night with happy hours. And we use this platform called Gatherly that I will say this, as I'm sitting there, I could follow you down. I could track Eric down. I could tag on you and you and I could start having a conversation. We could go into rooms and you could see who was in rooms. You could have conversations. They were playing bingo, doing characters. There was a lot of really interesting things about that. I, I keep thinking to myself with Gatherly, what does this mean for like 20 year olds? Is this the bar of the future for them that they can go into this? And especially if it's VR and you get that 
level of experience. It's amazing what I could see coming from that. We led our innovation studio, so we were rolling out our podcast, the Innovation Overload podcast, trying to address all this paralysis by analysis and providing a platform that really I think podcasts can only give you is, is to hear the inflection in the voice, convey your passion. You read this or sometimes, or if it's in a static video, we don't have this back and forth dialogue like we can and, and dig into some of these conversations. So we rolled that out. It went really well. We did 22 interviews and three half days. So it tells you how back to back to back we were stacked, but it, it was live. It was on the fly. And I think there was a lot of really good takeaways. It was an eye opener for so many of our members and people that attended that, wow, okay, maybe this is a hybrid of how things happen going forward, that this should complement future conferences. I love to hear that. And I think you're absolutely on the ball as far as the conversational aspect of things being so absolutely important. Like I've spoken on a handful of webinars in the past, and it's always such a strange setup because you don't really have an audience to engage with and you don't really get any feedback, even if you're, you know, bombing miserably and you, you have no idea. And so it's, it's great to see that the new platforms have been adaptable to enabling some of those more organic conversations that you experience in a traditional conference hall. And as you said, we've got Autodesk University coming up here in the next couple of weeks. And I actually had a really great conversation about this with Ali Scott and Cliff Cole a couple of weeks ago, which is part of the topic for our first episode of the podcast. And it's really clear that the digital events are increasing accessibility for a new group of people that previously might not have had that, both from a cost aspect and just a regional thing. And I really do think that post-COVID, the virtual event might become a more popular thing than we had expected experienced in the past. Yeah, I'm really optimistic, Eric, that what we can do, and this is one of the things we were pushing for, is our ability to connect with our members at a deeper level, trying to find some of those young up-and-comers that are estimators, that are young project managers that may not ever be invited to attend our national convention just due to the cost, but accessing that service manager, that safety person, and we're hoping that we can get more analytics to our members so that we can provide better education going going forward and having a deeper touch, I'm very optimistic about what that can do for us so that we can reach more people than in the past when you had to physically travel and the costs were massive. So I, I think it's going to be a good balance going forward. I absolutely agree. I, I think this is going to be a, a trend that continues tracking even once, you know, the world kind of goes back to normal in the post-COVID day. I do miss the in-person element of, you know, working with peers and, and getting to see some people in the industry that I don't come across on a daily basis. It's It's been strange for me. I live by myself and, you know, the, the isolation in the last eight months of working remotely has been a very new dynamic in work and personal relationships. I couldn't imagine how strange like onboarding at a new company would be right now, especially if you've got a fully virtual remote position. I think a lot of the my ability to be successful as a remote employee right now is predicated on relationships I built when I was actually in the office. But I think the industry has been adaptable and shown that they're you know able to weather the storm. So I'm optimistic that as, as things kind of go back to normal, we'll be in a good spot. So I think, you know, COVID is almost kind of an elephant in a room. It's, it's a pervasive thing that everybody's been talking about. And I'm interested to hear a little bit more about how it's impacted the trade specifically. I think a lot of the things we're hearing in the media is more GC focused. And, and I'd love to get a better understanding of kind of how the trades have been impacted on day one versus today and, and kind of how that has been tracking along in the last eight or nine months. 
One, I will say we're very, very fortunate in the fact that construction is considered essential in most states and the way that it's been deemed at, at the different levels of service work that we've kept our Really, our contractors have stayed busy, especially those that have diversified. Some of those that were really focused on hospitality and some of the markets that have been hit a lot harder than others ha have seen an impact. But overall, across the country, NECA contractors are doing very well. So from a standpoint of work, we still have plenty of work. And there's a lot of work that's actually bidding and things are pretty traditional there. However, on the job sites, we put out a pandemic report that addressed a lot of the things that, that we're dealing with. And from a productivity standpoint, we're seeing that there's a lot more time spending on mitigating this virus from spreading. So it's something that we've had to address. And of course, it, it's leading to change orders. And you know, there's force majeure and there's all these conversations that we can have to get out of it. But it has impacted the productivity of our contractors immensely. Think about on a lift now, if you're on a, on a buck hoist and you're trying to get up to the 27th floor and you've got to take tools and materials, how are you sanitizing and keeping those tools clean if they're, they're passing back and forth between individuals? How many people can be on that lift now at a time compared to where you've been on those, Eric, yourself, and it's nothing to squeeze 20, 30 people on some larger jobs into the larger buck hoist and just smashing bodies in. It can slow things down considerably. Doing some of the contact tracing that's out there right now. We've, we've had a number of conversations. Gil Bain has been pushing this through some technology. There's a number of factors that are impacting us on the job sites. And I will say that we've seen this plateau off, so we're just getting used to it. We've gotten accustomed to this being part of the job site now and understanding certain things where you have to do social distancing for us, a rough in overhead, having two sigil lifts, it, it's, it's tough. It's making things much tougher, but we're, we're learning to, to do it. And I think it's going to drive us a lot more to the prefab method even sooner. There's a number of things that COVID's driving and accelerating the process. We are seeing traditionally, let's be honest, construction has been, you better be in the office. If you're not on the job site, you have to be in the office. Nobody works from home. That's been the most part for the designers, the trades, and the GCs. Out of sight, out of mind. If, if I don't see you working, you're not working. Well, I think this has opened up the eyes of many of our leaders across the country to say now that, wow, we can be very productive working from home. I, I will tell you this personally, and now that I, I've been into our office in D.C., so I traveled up there last week, and you need the time in the office. But sometimes when you just need to crank things out, there's never a better place than my quiet spot that I go to that the kids know and everybody knows this is where dad goes to get work done. And we're all trying to find our way through this. I think everybody would agree. I need some time in the office, but I need a balance of, of home and office time. So in the office, the job site, the tools and technology, Eric, everything's been impacted. Everything. I think that's that's absolutely the case. And it's it's been interesting hearing just how this has differed regionally and internationally as well. Like I know some states when the beginning of the pandemic started were very hard line, shut everything down. And some of the other states were a little bit more, okay, you can stay open with modifications. I, I spoke to some of our international customers and they had no stoppage at all. It was just, just keep doing the thing, wear your mask. I heard an interesting anecdote that was like, how do you carry sheetrock or drywall? Because, you know, it's less 
less than six feet in distance and you need two people to to carry that safely. And so the the implications have been small and large across the job site. But I think you're you're absolutely right that the adaptability in the industry is is incredibly impressive. I think we're trending towards more comfortability associated with remote workers. It's something that like the tech industry has definitely embraced a little bit earlier. And it's easier to justify somebody who's at a computer 40 hours a week to possibly not, you know, be in the office every single day. But like construction has such an element of, you know, boots on the ground. So I think it's productive to hopefully promote a bit more accessibility for people to get roles in our in our industry as well. Because now you've got, you know, a young kid in South Dakota who might not have been able to find a progressive technology focused general contractor to work for. And now the door might open for them down the line, not just during the COVID times, but, you know, in the future to say, okay, like I'm a awesome VDC manager and I understand all these tools and I've got a background that's a little bit different than the traditional construction professional. And so it's it's a pretty exciting thing. As far as technology adoption goes, do you think that this is a catalyst, much like the last recession was, to boost uh, BIM adoption across the industry? Hands down. We've always seen this. In 22 years, every time there's a downturn, the companies that really embrace technology take these leaps forward. I look at back at BIM in my career, and I see how much adoption took place from the end of 2008 to the end of 2010. Much more adoption that took place from 2003, more than double the time, and more than probably quadruple the amount of, of adoption. I'm seeing it right now. Uh, digital transformation, this is is a journey, and I've seen a a lot of people will be forced to start that journey much sooner in how they're starting to digitize processes for themselves. So moving away from traditional paper, trying to move to using apps and solutions that they can put on their smartphones and tablets to refine the process. So I know from us, a number of our contractors started reaching out immediately as the world started shutting down there around mid-March saying, hey, what do I do? Help us understand this. So we put a lot of education out there to say, here's some easy things you can do right now to start start this path of digital transformation for your company. Your forms, one thing that you can do, move from paper to these digital forms. Not a PDF, not a dumb PDF, but actually standardizing the data and starting to have some of these conversations around you know, turning data into raw data and, and turning it into something that you can use. We're still very early in that process. For the most part, as an industry as a whole, NECA aligns with much of the industry in digital transformation. But I am very optimistic about what this has done for us and where it's going to take us down this path going forward and accelerating that exponentially. No, I love to hear that. You know, it's strange to be taking advantage. I guess maybe that might be the wrong phrasing, like just really utilizing a rough situation to to better the industry and, and get people a little bit on the digital transformation conversation. Eric, How- you know, think about this, though. This is a we are typically one that has to be forced. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. We react very well when it comes at us. This is an industry that can adapt and overcome a lot of things because it's not an easy industry. I, I look at this and I don't think taking advantage of it. I don't look at it that way one bit. Something was thrown at us, we had to adapt, and we're doing so. And it's ultimately going to be better for us as we move forward as an industry. I think that that's absolutely in line. How are the trades doing that have recently adopted a lot of new technology with the data that they are collecting? Like I've heard a number of people say contractors are, you know, acquiring a great deal of data. Some of them are a bit more successful in being actionable with that, some a little bit less so. 
Is there anything that you've seen that kind of aligns with that? I think there's an awakening in the industry right now that you have to understand where the barrier has been for us for a long time is at the point of install and where the trades are so valuable, so important. If we ever want to even think about a digital twin, we have to engage those that are actually installing the equipment and, and putting in the systems of the building. The, the trades are where the rubber meets the road. And if we can't get there with them and get them to embrace these workflows and we help incentivize them to understand what's in it for all the trades, that's electrical, that's mechanical, sheet metal, everyone, the curtain wall, just the glazers and installers there, that they are a critical part in capturing this data and really being that point in time of installation. As you start to look at what's happened in the industry, I believe is one of the greatest challenges that we're facing is the systems of the building have gotten so much more complex there. You look at a building when I came into the industry 22 years ago and today, and you look at a VRF versus a VAV, and you look at the electrical systems of the building, I mean, our contractors... 15 years ago, all they did was run transmission distribution, run, ran power and conduit and feeder and branch and, and those types. That's what they did. They ran power. Now you've got this diversification of work of security controls and motor controls and building automation and all these things now that our contractors are, a lot of them are growing this part of their business as integrators. Well, it's gotten more complicated to build and to jump from that now, these are our permit sets, basically is what we've been defining. The jump to installation, that's a massive divide that's really growing every year. And it's that's where a lot of the risk is shifting in our industry. And we have to address that. And a lot of people are, are awakening to that now to realize that the trades are a critical part for us to be successful. We have to engage them because we need that design assist, those different project deliveries that helps us think about constructability earlier in the process. You hear Amy Marks from your team talking about D. DFM, designed for manufacturing, DFA, designed for assembly. Well, you can't do those things if you don't understand construction. And you have to have design and construction and that mindset of means and methods and design intent. That lines, we're going to have to blur those lines. So the Spearing Doctrine it holds less of a line today than it's ever held before. I think you make some really great points there. It's the evolution of both the GCs and the specialty trades in the last 10 to 15 years and how they work and how they collaborate has, has been changing in a really interesting way. I think it's a lot more collaborative in this incentivization to do so is has been put in place in a way that wasn't traditionally there. The last time we spoke, you had shared an analogy that I really liked that I was hoping you could walk through. So when talking about incentivizing contractors to adopt technology, you referenced the film Moneyball. And I was hoping you could talk about that a little bit because I, I thought it was a really powerful way to kind of deconstruct it. It's analogy I'm using a lot today because it's something that sports is something that most of us in our industry can at least understand. And I, and I talk about the shift in baseball and how this year in 2020, the season was compressed and every game mattered more than ever before. So they leaned on the sports analytics this year more than ever. The shift was deployed at such a high rate. If you watch the playoffs where my Braves lost in the seventh game, unfortunately, but it is what it is. We, we, we hung in there pretty well against those tough Dodgers with that high payroll. But you saw almost a shift with every batter because it was so important to get every out. Well, you start to think about that from the role of a contractor. 
And I'm thinking about this very specifically for my electrical contractors. How can we start leveraging data to make more informed decisions that moves away from gut? You know, sometimes you need that gut and you got to balance that out, but you need to have it influence with the data that's telling you the truth. We need to reduce risk in this industry. We need to increase margin. So a couple of the things when I look at is how do I take my contractors and help them start playing money ball with the data? How can we start to measure things that help us understand and track? We're going through this massive KPI initiative right now at NECA. We're trying to create these massive data lakes from right at 4,000 contractors. They own their data, but they share it with us. And we have someone that specializes, comes from a background in data and comes from biomedical. And she's very objective. She looks at data in a very different way and is teaching me how to look at that. That data. And what we want to be able to do is go to our contractors and help them look at jobs and say, how is this trending? How is this moving? Which direction is this? Is this trending in the right direction at 20% of this phase of this project? Or is it starting to turn in the, in the wrong direction? How can we come together? I think data can be a common language for us that can get the GCs and the electrical contractors and the designers and the owners being more transparent and building trust, which is a big part of what we need in this industry, that can help us all be more successful around the data. So I, I think that's, you know, you look at what the Tampa Bay Rays have done with their salary, and it's amazing. There's a really strong chance they win the World Series, but they manage that money effectively. We're going to have to look at it in the same way. I love that analogy because it, it really qualifies how important data and the analysis of data is in a way that's not buzzwordy or overwhelming for an industry that sometimes has been reluctant to, to kind of pivot towards these types of technologies. And I think that this is going to create a new type of role at a lot of companies that may not have existed before or certainly wasn't a full-time position where they're leveraging data scientists now and, and bringing in people to specifically spend their time focused just on this. And, and I think that that's exciting because, again, it comes back to that diversity conversation where you're bringing in people with very different backgrounds into an industry that didn't previously have titles like data scientist or data manager, or a specific focus on that. And I think it's going to allow companies to be a lot more successful once they have an opportunity to really step back and go, okay, I have all this information and I'm able to learn from my projects that I've done in the past in a way that I wasn't able to previously. And I can take that information and actionably change how they build. And in the long run, I think being able to do things with a little bit less is going to be important. Having less people on the job site, all those things. And of course, the pervasive labor shortage conversation that everybody's tired of, but is still very important to the industry. I think that being better with what you've got and, and having those insights is, is more important than it ever was previously. You make a lot of great comments. Where we're at is a very unique time. We are on the precipice of industrialization in our industry. We look at other manufacturing industries. We look at automotive, we look at agriculture, they've industrialized 100 years ago during the, the first or second or third industrial revolution. We are industrializing in our industry during the fourth industrial revolution. And data is such a big part. That's that part of the fourth industrial revolution. So we're coming in to this at this time. And I think it's going to help accelerate our process and how quickly we industrialize. You think about it, you, you mentioned smartphones and tablets, we are a mobile first industry. So we didn't have the tools to industrialize and collect this data until 
just now we're really at that point of, of where the tools are there, the software, the hardware, all the technology that we need to industrialize, to measure our processes and capture and standardize processes. That's where we are. And that's a very, very exciting time. So, you know, it's going to be an accelerated process for us. I think that's great. I'm curious, are you seeing an increase in training for specialty contractors to address this very abrupt adoption of technology? And I'm also interested to learn a little bit more about the standardization around using some of these tools. As we all know, you can roll out a bunch of different software tools to your field teams and say, this is going to make you more efficient and it's going to be great. But if that's the end of the conversation and now everybody's got something on their iPhone or a tablet, like the effectiveness of that is not necessarily necessarily what it could be. And of course, that also is a bit of a blocker to adoption when people don't understand or haven't been taught to fully use those tools. So this is a big question for us, and we have to address this from a couple of different levels. So let me give you a little background. NECA is a National Electrical Contractors Association. It is not union. It is signatory to the union. So the IBW is an international brotherhood of electrical workers. They have well over 700,000 members. Sitting in between NECA, the contractor side, and IBW, the labor side, is the Electrical Training Alliance. They're responsible for education. So you've got to think 700,000 members and our contractors that are out there, it's a big, big ship to start educating and, and turning. But the Electrical Training Alliance is now starting to teach all their blueprint classes through the digital tools. So they're starting right away now, first year, second year apprentices. There's no way you can't avoid the conversation around BIM. So there's BIM curriculum, there's education and training and all of these things that are going on right now at the JTC level. That's our joint apprenticeship training curriculum. And that's where the, we come together. And there's a, a lot of, of change that's happening at that level to embrace this technology because you're seeing less paper plans on job sites. You are seeing more smartphones and tablets. I can tell you, if you would have opened your phone on a job site four or five years ago, Eric, you may have been, put your phone up, get back to work. Now that's not happening. Now it's, they know that they're using these tablets and smartphones to be able to review plans, to be able to search documents, to have these tools on a job site is critical for their success. So they're using these tools when they're attending school for their day classes or night classes, depending on their, their JTC. And at the contractor level, I'm having conversations with our contractors about ERP, about individual software solutions. And there is this abundance of information that's out there right now that really is almost to a point of what's the next step that I take. And one of the things I keep trying to tell everyone is that change your mindset. You bought AutoCAD and it lasted you for 30, 35 years. Today, if you buy a piece of software, it's cloud-based. You play for it by the month, you pay for it annually. Just know that you're not going to purchase something now that's probably going to have the life expectancy that AutoCAD had for 35 years. Revit is going to evolve. The BIM 360 platform is going to evolve. Things are going to change. The name of how things are, are going to change. You're going to combine tools. You're going to offload certain things to the cloud. It's part of this, but you have to have a dedicated budget to train on these tools because you need to stop looking at your phones and tablets as extra cost to the job. We need to treat them just like we do hammer drills, rotary lasers, and the tools and things that you need on a job site, you have no problem putting those in the general conditions. Owners have no problem renting equipment. We need to start looking at our software and hardware very much like we do 
the tools that we've been using for all of these years on a job site. We're industrializing now. We've got to be able to capture data. We need more transparency in the process. And the only way we can do that is through the tools that you and I are out there preaching on every day and evangelizing and bringing attention to. I think that's one of the cool things about software as a service versus the the old school, like you buy a piece of software and then you use it for 20 years and then you go, oh no, the new version came out and you need to buy that one now is, is that ever evolving conversation with customers and software manufacturers and you know influencers and everything is like you get that growth within the tools and they become better on a monthly basis. It's like there's always new features coming out. You go, oh, okay, like my submittals process wasn't working very well because this tool didn't adapt to the, the way we do things in a couple conversations later, suddenly that tool now does that. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, great. We streamlined that. So it's, it's pretty exciting. And, and another thing that I think is important for contractors to remember right now is as they're continuing to try to attract younger people to the industry and digital natives and people with these differing backgrounds, for a lot of them, it's a requirement to have these types of tools to be able to leverage. And a company that doesn't employ some of these more forward thinking assets isn't going to be as competitive when they're trying to, to bring in this talent. So it's just kind of a foundation for the industry now. I speak to a lot of high schools and I speak to these programs that are out there like the work-based learning and some of these other tools that are providing education to these students that there is an alternative path to college now. But I also speak to a lot of universities and I can tell you right now, my message of construction technology resonates so much more with these students than anything else that we're doing right now. You need the wages and you need the compensation and you need those types of things. We've got that. We've got that at NECA and IBW. We have that. But it's knowing that this career path is there that's available to you that once you learn this skill set, I will tell you this, construction is set up as a If you look at the projections for construction and the growth that's projected over the next 30 years, Eric, this is a great industry to come into. We've got these tools. But one of the things we have to do is get that attention. We have to change the perception of construction, that it's no longer about wheelbarrows and shovels. It's about technology. And that's a critical part of the way that we work, that it's a mix of blue collar and white, that every job site is dynamic and a little bit chaotic. So, you know, I try to tell these kids, you know, a lot of you don't think about this when you're 18. You think you want to go be a pharmacist. You think you want to be an accountant. Take into consideration that you've been alive for 18, 20, 22 years. Imagine doing that for 40 plus years and going to the same office every day for the rest of your life. That is a great fit for a lot of you. That is not a great fit for a lot of you. Those of you that like change and not being at the same place all the time. This is something you need to be thinking about when you're 18, 20. This is something that you need to change your perception of the industry because this industry is changing. And I like to show them about exoskeletons. I like to show them about BIM and the tablets and the phones. Kids eat this up. They understand, like you said, digital natives. This is the world that they know. And if they thought that their phones were going to get taken away from them on a job site because they didn't see it as a tool, that, that would discourage them. We have to go out and attract the best and brightest. We have put ourselves in a corner by saying, hey, we're looking for those that, that don't go to college. Well, th that's not the case. We, well, let's look for those that want to go to college and, and do that college. But understand that the world's changing too, and education is changing as well. What we all thought of college 20 years ago and what we think of it today may be very different. So explore some of these opportunities and look at how you can stay debt-free throughout this debt right out of high school coming into a world. That sets you up for a lot of success. 
And one thing that really kind of popped up when you were speaking was that ability to be out in different places all the time. Like like a, a construction project is a, is a finite thing. There's a there's a duration associated with it unless you know you have a schedule slippage that you know nobody ever wants if you're you know get a ten year long project or something. But either way, I I love the fact that emphasizing that and saying you've got something different to look forward to. You could do site walks on four different projects in a day and be on different parts of town and the innovation associated with construction and the things that people are building is very different than the standard, okay, here's a class A office building that you're going to put up and okay, you know, Twitter is going to move in and awesome, how exciting, whatever. But like just the flexibility and in, in different things is pretty impressive. So the pride side of it too, the fact that you're able to ride down the road and to your mom, dad, your children and say, hey, I built that. That was dirt before I started on that job site and that I, I ran the modeling features of that. And, you know, there's so much pride in, in what you do in construction, too. I love that. And I know every contractor and anybody I've ever met in construction, if I ask them, what was your favorite project you ever worked on? The answer is almost instantaneous 100% of the time because they know they go, oh, I loved working on X because it was unique to the industry or crazy challenging conditions or like the schedule is insane. We had to do such innovative stuff to make it happen. And there's always an interesting answer, both just in the type of project and the reason as to why it was their favorite one. So I, I, I love that. So I've got one final question for you before we close for the day. And this is a, a recurring question that I'm going to be asking all of our guests. So last week, Allie and Cliff had some really great answers and set the bar pretty high. But the question is, what's one tool you would always have in your toolbox, no matter the circumstance? Well, listen, you could go with, with the screwdrivers and the hammers and the things that, that can be used in multi-purpose. But I'm going to tell you what, I keep one of those new 18-volt Milwaukee hacksaws in both of my trucks at all time. I'm an avid camper, so I've got a fifth wheel, and I love taking my kids out, and they know to wake up in the morning, go outside, you come in at night, and we just, we love that. It's it's our family thing, but I will say this from a tool standpoint, I've got to go with something hard. I mean, I, I, I love my, my phone. I love the apps. I love these things, but I'll tell you what, anytime you need to cut something up or put, you know, that's, that's, uh, that little thing is so handy. It's, it's less than a reciprocating saw, but I, I love that tool. It, it's something that I, I think everybody needs to have and keep in their truck at any given time. I love it. I'm going to have to pick one up when I'm down at Home Depot the next time. So on that note, is there anything you've got coming up that you'd like to plug or can you share how people can connect with you if they've got any other questions? Let me do this. Let me tell them about Electri for just a moment. Electri is a the foundation that was born out of grants from NECA. So it is when I say I'm with Electri now, it's I haven't left NECA. We are very closely aligned, but everything that comes out of Electri is free to everyone. You can go to electri.org and look at 30 plus years of research. There's white papers, there's topics on all types of things, and it's free to the industry. Yeah, if you're a GC and you want to see how the electrical contractor is thinking, go to electri.org. If you're a union or non-union, or if you're a small contractor, a large, Electri has tons of resources, and we're going to make some very exciting changes in this next research cycle. I'm coming in with my knowledge and my take on this, and I'm just, I'm kind of the, the guide for our council. We have this amazing 
using counsel with all this knowledge. We're going to lean on their knowledge. We're going to partner with more trades. We're going to partner with designers and owners and GCs. We're opening this thing up. And I believe Electri can be something that's so great for the industry. So if you've not heard of Electri, go to electri.org, set up account for free, download the pandemic report, look at the change order calculator. It doesn't cost you anything. So I'm very, very excited about this, what I'm doing with Electri, Eric, and uh, I, w- I want the word to get out. Love it. And congratulations again for getting a chance to participate. It's it's awesome to see some accessible resources to be out there in, in the ether right now, especially with all the, the challenges that all the different contractors are having. So thank you for plugging that and putting it out there. And thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Digital Builder. If anybody listening wants to reach out with any questions for me or would like to be a guest on a future episode, you can find me on LinkedIn and just uh, shoot me a message. I'm Eric Thomas and an industry marketing manager here at Autodesk. So on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.